Christians are supposed to be Christ-like, just as the name implied from when it was originally used in the first century, right up to our own postmodern world today. It's as simple as WWJD, right? Wrong. Join our show host, teacher, servant leader, and fellow traveler as we journey together in learning how lives daily renewed by God's grace and power can embrace Christian living that counts and makes a difference in a broken world. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled, It's Better to Have Loved. And joining me from near New York City in the United States of America is author Janice Jones-Adams. Janice, welcome to the program. Good morning, Jay. Well, it's a pleasure visiting with you. This is uh, being recorded in the wintertime, so I'm assuming you are uh, enjoying a little bit of that winter chill that's coming your way. Yeah, just a bit. Just a bit. We had some snow um, a couple of days ago, but nothing enormous. Nothing nothing enormous. Your book, uh, you have... uh, uh, Tell tell my listeners a little of your background. Uh, You have a a degree in, is it sociology or uh, counseling? What uh, what is your... Yeah, that's correct. I I have... uh, um, a master's degree in uh, social work. I've been in social work for the last 30 years, and then once I went to um, get my master's, um, I just kind of moved up onto the administrative level and um, now on a director level of a youth employment program. Oh, fabulous. That's a, definitely a needed career a path for a lot of people that that need assistance in that that area they need guidance your book title is unique the better it's better to have loved uh most people would uh, from that put their own tagline on that is it better to love than to have lost or not not to have loved was there a, an additional phrase that also came with that or was it just that phrase it's better to have loved was that what stuck in your mind as a title yeah, I kind of went through a couple of um, titles, but because of the premise of the book, um, I just felt that, you know, it's better to have love. is just says it all. Well, it you know, is. instead of not taking a chance, you know, just believing in God and, you know, taking a chance, it's better to, to, to go forth and, you know, experience some of God's love through His people. Well, this is, uh, again, your your title is sort of brief, and you've explained it well. You also have a relatively short read. It's uh, under, what, 70 pages or so, and right. uh, it tells really your story. Is it only a reflection of your story, or is there some fiction involved in, in what you have accounted for here? Well, actually, it's mostly um, my story. Um, it came about because um, I was when I was actually, I live in New Jersey, and I was commuting to New York. And um, I was kind of afraid of that big city of, of New York because, of, unfortunately, because sometimes the media have such a negative connotation there. That's true. So um, any time that I would travel to New York with one of my best friends who was like my protector, you know, I was kind of afraid. But then I wanted to kind of broaden my horizons and, and work in New York, you know, a better life. Right. And um, once I... Um, started to go over um, to New York, I found that it wasn't as scary as I initially thought. And um, there's a famous park in New York, um, Bryant Park, which was um, rehabilitated, mm, I want to say maybe over 15 years now. Mm -hmm. And um, it was such a quaint area where people come together and just enjoy life and a lot of activities that went on. Um, in the park, and I'm an advocate um, chess player. I've been playing chess for a long time, mm. and I met this uh, stranger in the park, and um, eventually um, we sat down and played chess, and uh, throughout the book you'll see where I had some apprehensive and, you know, kind of like, um, kind of a little scary to get into a relationship, and that's how we actually began a relationship. Well, Bryant Bryan Park is—is is that not in the middle of Manhattan? Sort of, uh, it, it's it's closer to to down what uh, the middle middle section of New York City. No, it, it's right in um, Midtown where the ball drops. Yep, that's it. <laughs> Everybody see the ball drops there. Well, it's a beautiful yeah. little park. You also have uh, highlighted or focused on nine eleven that had some significance in your life and in your story. Absolutely. 
absolutely. That was a time, um, maybe about a week after the Twin Towers was attacked and the suicide mission and everything, that's when I actually um, met the stranger in Bryant Park. And it was um, really significant because there was a lot of protesters that um, was basically saying that the president at that time knew that it was coming and then, you know, it was protesting against, you know, being in a war and all those type of things. And I was um, actually having a cup of tea with um, Dao, um and he got kind of like excited about the whole thing. And, and that conversation, you know, arose, and it, it was a really good conversation about, you know, 9-11 and everything that had occurred at that time. Now, who is Daoud in your in your novel? Okay, so Daoud is the person that is the stranger that I met and took a chance on um, loving. Is that, his, is that him smiling on the front of your cover? Yeah, so on the front of this cover, you'll see myself and Dao with the chess set. And the chess set is significant because that's how we began um, our relationship. And it blossomed into something more than just a friendship, from what I have uh, read in your book. Yes, it did. Yes, it did. So um, over, over, I'll say over a period of time, we started to... Um, um, see each other and then dating and so forth. And it was one of the parts in the, the book which still kind of like strikes me um, as we was leaving the park because he usually walked me to Port Authority and I would um, uh, come on to Jersey. Mm -hmm. And I was walking down the stairs one day and I just heard this voice saying that um, you're going to marry this man one day. And I remember specifically telling my friend Barbara, I really don't like him. I'm kind of scared to get into a relationship. But that's kind of like stuck in my head. I'm like, where did I come from? Was that God speaking to me? Or what's that all about? So it was it was definitely significant because eventually we, we did get married. And um, I want your listeners to actually read the book because it's a kind of surprising ending. Aha, aha. Yeah. So what is, yeah. the, what is the, this is your first novel, first written uh, piece that's been published that I'm aware of. What, how long have you had the desire to be an author, or was this a, a, an outcropping of a desire, or was it just something you felt you needed to do to share your story? So it was a desire when I was a little younger. I loved to write. I always did well in English, but I never actually took the time to sit down and, you know, go through the whole process. Um, but then when I um, met, when I met Dao, I began to chronicalize or journal um, our relationship um, over. Oh my gosh, um, over. Mm, 10 to 12 years of our relationship so mm. I always had this writing spirit and then when I had any issues or I wanted to kind of express myself I put it on paper and then um, once um, I, I decided look I'm going to go ahead and write this book because I wanted to kind of like honor him so what I did was I took um, all my journals and I developed it into a book and with the help of Author House I was able to publish as the first-time author. Well, congratulations. How long did it take in in its finality to get to the publishing stage? Was it a 10-year journey, as you've mentioned, or was it less? No, the, actually, the, the journal was kind of like a 10-year of writing, you know, my experiences with um, with Dao. Um, however, I would say once I contacted Author House, it must have been about six months before it came to fruition. And looking back over the contents of your book, what do you think the reader will take away from it besides enjoying the journey with you? Is there an underlying moral to the story or is there an underlying message that comes through? Yeah, it's a couple of things. I just want people to, you know, just sometimes in your own fear, just Put yourself aside and just trust and believe in God that he's going to just carry you through. Because usually 
if God put you in a place or sent somebody to you, he's going to make sure that you're going to be all right. And even if you do have some setbacks or some challenges, you just trust and believe in God, and everything will be okay. Um, also, there's um, in the book, um, you know, it also is about um, middle-aged women, single women who's looking for love and, you know, kind of have that fear of love, but um, just stepping out on faith and, and just believing in God, no matter what the circumstances that you could believe in God. And the other part I wanted um, to um, express is that um, it talks a little about a little bit about the grieving process, like when you live lose a loved one and the stages of, of grieving and how you know people grieve differently. And I'm just hoping and praying that people can read the book and then understand that you trust in, in God, but also get some good information out of it about the grieving process. Janice, many of my authors who write stories about their lives uh, have been impacted by their early life, uh, you know, childhood. Is there anything included in your book or anything in your early life that may have uh, given you motivation to write this? Yes, it is. So as I grew up in um, North New Jersey, I had a lot of mentors who guided and shaped and helped me shape my life. Of course, one of them was my my mother's sister, Lincoln Holden. Um, she kept us in church, and now I attend the Greater Abyssinia Baptist Church in uh, Newark, New Jersey. And during my teenage years, as I helped teenagers along the way, um, I, like I said, I had a lot of uh, mentors, but there was um, a home, a house right next door where neighbors, teenagers used to kind of hang out in a safe space. And in this house, this you know, we played various games, and there was beautiful parents. And um, they... Um, had, like, in the attic, actually, they had games for teenagers, and I appreciate them doing that because it kind of, you know, keep you on a straight and narrow and, you know, not getting into the wrong type of things. And that's where I learned to play chess. So in that connection for the chess, that's how I met Daoud, and that's how we eventually came to the book, It's Better to Have Loved. That's phenomenal, and I uh, I understand the importance of parental guidance and, and senior leadership like you have described. That is a wonderful gift they have extended to you. Absolutely. It's a blessing because um, dealing with the youth of today, we still need that. They need that guidance. Even if they don't know it right then and there, they need that guidance. You know, you can't actually... Um, force them to do anything but i believe in my heart that you just plant the seed and then as i similar to as i growing up when seeds was planted in my mind i could kind of go back to it and we say oh that's what they was talking about so i'm just planting the seed in the young people mind and helping them learn employability skills and place them in job internships and just keep them and guide them into the right direction because Coming out of these streets of New York, there's a lot of challenges they have to go through. And so it's just my little, of, my little bit of giving back to our, our community and just trying to help as much as I could with God's help. Well, you have been given a great gift and are sharing it, so thank you for doing that as well. The title of the book, again, It Is Better to Have Loved, my author, Janice Jones-Adams. Janice, my listeners need to get a copy of your book. How do they do that? So they could just go to um, the web and just put in Janice Jones Adams, and it'll pop up. Or either you could go to Author House um, and then uh, Amazon. Amazon as well. Excellent. They can also go to their local bookseller, and if they choose to, can order it in there. The title again is the, it is, I'm sorry, It's Better to Have Loved. The author, Janice Jones-Adams. Janice, thank you for sharing your story with us today. Uh, there is there a, a book in the future, or is this uh, it for now? Well, we're looking to the future. I have a, um, 
I'm looking to the future. Um, I don't know if it's actually going to happen or not, and I'm going to just trust God. But I have a granddaughter. Her name is Ayana, and she's a teenager. And we're looking at um, different perspectives from a teenager's, you know, to um, middle-aged woman and looking at the generation gap on so many different social issues. So we're kind of looking towards that. That's, I think, a great idea also. Thank you for joining us today and sharing your story. Okay. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts. Back in a moment. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. The National Heart, Lung, and Blood Institute defines high cholesterol as a condition in which you have too much cholesterol in your blood. By itself, the condition usually has no signs or symptoms. People who have high blood cholesterol have a greater chance of getting coronary artery disease. According to the American Heart Association, more than 120 million Americans over the age of 20 have cholesterol counts that are above a healthy level. Harvard Medical School says that the good news is that cholesterol levels can be controlled, and just by lowering your total cholesterol 10%, you can decrease your heart attack risk by 20 to 30%. Making changes in your eating is important, but including daily exercise is a must. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Visit our Facebook fan page at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The book is titled Our Shattered Dreams, and joining me from California in the United States of America is author Martha Gutierrez. Welcome to the program, Martha. Hi, Jay. Good morning. How are you doing? Doing well. Great to, great to visit with you. Share with me the title, Our Shattered Dreams. Now, tell my listeners a little of the, uh, of the concept of the book. Is this a, an autobiographical book, or how would you describe it? Well, it's so amazing. You know, over 25 years or so ago, one day as I was driving to work, I saw, like in a vision, the cover and the title, Our Shattered Dreams. I knew it was for me to write this book, but I, I was clueless as to what to do or where to start. So if you ask me what made me write this book, well, you know, years passed by. I intended so many times to write it, but nothing came about, you know. Right. It was like, it was not from the heart, but uh, while through the shadows of my own body of death, if you want to call it that way, one day I woke up with the idea on how to start writing this book. The vision of helping others not to give up and to make it safe to the other side of this dark tunnel that we may be at one point or another in our lives. You know? Yes, it, it deals with your personal journey then as much as anything else. Basically. Basically, and at the same time, seeing others going through the same struggles but not really connecting, connecting or thinking that someone may relate to our problems and situations. And how long and did... if you look around... Yes, go ahead. I'm sorry. Uh, I was saying that if you look around, each one of us has a shattered dream. It doesn't matter, but that's the way it is. You have uh, have outlined some of your personal journey, and uh, you, you say that this was uh, maybe, did you say, 10 or 20 years ago, 25 years ago, that this idea came to you yes. to write the book. Did you keep notes? Did you have a journal? How did you assemble the stories in your book? Um, how it goes is that I started writing as the ideas came to my mind, right? Yes. But nothing was really quite there. It was until basically 2013 that one day I just woke up and all the motivation, all the ideas came to my mind all at once. To tell you the truth, I started writing maybe at 11 o'clock in the evening or 2 o'clock in the evening at that time. Mm-hmm. And so I started it, right? But then as, a, as the idea came again, you know, like the vision, like a, like a, like a trance, if you want to call it that way, that I was right. able to be there. You're able to see with your spiritual eyes, with, your, with the eyes of your soul, you know? 
Yes. And uh, I, I started writing, let's say, at 6 o'clock in the evening when everything was quiet at home. And they gave me 7 o'clock in the morning and I was still there. I didn't wow. sleep. And it happened nights like that, you know? Mm. Very so mo- that's how the book came about. Very motivated uh, to, to complete your task. You have uh, highlighted the stories of a couple of people. Which of them do you think is uh, maybe the one that stood out the most to you? You have uh, mentioned Anna and Helen among the uh, individuals or the characters in your book. What was their story? You know, the story is such a common story out there, you know? Their lives were in a in a in an environment that nothing would go wrong, that the perfect outcome would be out there. But see, their lives were marked in a, such a with such deep scars that nobody no no one would think that this woman would be still alive. And then, you know, to share their stories with us, mm-hmm. that's something else, you know. And the characters are very strong. And most of all, you know, they're not ashamed of the finger pointing, you know, uh, of their family members or from their family members and friends. You know, they can't, they came basically out of the closet, so to speak. And yet there's so many of us, men and women out there, you know, who are going or have gone through, through so much in their lives. And, you know, we think that no one can relate or understand our struggles. But you know, Jay, believe me, we are not alone. There's people who can relate to our story. And uh, these people, these women are are strong because when there's a chatter dream, there's two options. One, you pick up the pieces, you start all over again and continue the journey. The outcome is going to be great. And there's others whose chatter dreams have been in a way that they cannot see. They feel that they're so alone, no one can relate, and that's how we end up seeing people who refuge themselves in drugs, alcohol, prostitution, you name it. Out there, there's always a shattered dream, people who are not able to to overcome it. Everybody wants to get around with people who are the winners, the so-called that who has it all together. Mm-hmm. And these other poor people or shattered dreams people, they are kind of um, left behind. Even though sometimes we go by what we see and we think that everything is fine, but there's shattered dreams everywhere. Your book then would definitely be what you would term an inspirational book, uh, giving ideas and, and um, stories of people who have been through tough times, but have managed to succeed in spite of it. Correct. What would you? How would you describe your book when when talking to a stranger, and and how would you introduce that book to them? Mm, I would say something like, um, how can I put it this way? You know, um, we are on this earth. For just a little while. Have you thought on what will be written on the gospel of your name? Basically, you know? Yes. We just have so little time here. Just we're born and then we're gone. This middle part is basically the gospel of our name. That's our story. They're going to say, oh, in spite of all these obstacles, difficulties, this person, the outcome came, or, you know, who was that person? Well, she ended up in prostitution, drugs, alcohol, or is it going to be this, in spite of all this, look, she overcame it. And our descendants are the ones who are going to be saying, oh, really? Because it's not how we begin how we go through, but how we're going to end. That's what matters. What is the common thread among the characters or among the stories that you have uh, have written about? Is there a common thread that takes them from a place of despair to one of being able to put the negativity behind them? Sometimes this book is unlike any other ones or similar to them is because we deal with the real struggles and pain 
we all experience to the different stages of life. And instead of soothing or numbing the situation, it, it deepens to the root of the problem to make us free of whatever shame or condemnation that may have had us chained to that past or, had, or, or you know, you may call it had us going around hmm. in circles. With no advantage in life. This book basically deals with reality, you know? Um, it, it's like bringing a mirror to us. First, we see the mess we're in. And the second part is to see ourselves in that glorious freedom that the truth brings. Because that's what it is. We're trying to cover the truth. We're trying to cover our real feelings, you know? Yes. We just pretend. We wear masks. And this book deals with us taking off the mask, seeing reality, and then going from there, not just soothing the pain. Is there any particular time frame that the stories take place, or are they just universal? And In fact, they could be at any time and place. Uh, you know, the place is not really important. The time is not important. It's the quietness and solitude of self, you know, in the midst of uh, others who are in the same task, finding help to freedom, freedom of alcohol, freedom of any kind of uh, uh, chain that has us holding, called us there for a while, you know, and we're not able to advance in life. So it's basically that, you know, in the quietness and solitude of self, when we are in our bedroom or when we are alone and think about it, you know, instead of uh, facing things, we try to avoid them and we run to whatever it is, friends, music, bars, you name it. Mm. But the place and time is quietness and solitude of self. It doesn't matter where, it doesn't matter when. When you're ready. Good and observation. we decide to make the difference. Absolutely a great observation. The uh, book itself has been out a short time. Have you been able to share it with someone, a, a friend, a neighbor, or a stranger perhaps that's read it, and uh, have they given you any feedback? Basically some friends and relatives. They have read the book, but um, finger-pointing sometimes. <laughs> People who are not ready or who are not willing to hold the mirror in front of them because they think that the shatter is not a shatter of a dream, but it's a broken, there's no hope for them. I mean, they think that this is crazy. They don't want, they just want to hear positive things. Just even the title of the book, Shattered Dreams, Our Shattered Dreams. Oh, no, 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 no. I want something nice, flowery future, blue sky future, you know? But the ones who are really looking for the freedom, of what they have been, um, there have been there have been people who are saying they just say, "Beautiful, I can relate uh, with this and this and this character," you know, because um, it helps me do this. If they're talking about it, if they're able to get out of it, I'm sure I can do the same. And that's what I want. I want out of this. I don't want to get deeper into desperation or dead. I want to get out of it. And I want to see that it doesn't matter my age. I just want to face reality and be able to make the difference. That's what. There's two groups of people, and yes, they, some have some have said that it's stunning, that it's wonderful, and those are the kind of people that I could tell uh, they were willing to make a change because some of us are in our shattered dreams not because of cho- not because of choice, but is we were forced to be there. You know, when somebody yes. has been raped, when somebody has uh, had a relative killed, and all these different things. So those are the kind of people who are really want to make the difference and share their stories to help others, you know? Excellent. Excellent. There, there must have been some challenges in getting these stories to print. What were those? How did you get past them? Oh, my God. As I was saying, you know? Hmm. Just the fact of holding the mirror in my hand and seeing myself as I am, not as I pretend to be, but as I am, to be able to look back and realize that in the midst of those thorns and tears, there have also been roses and laughter, you know? The hope of a new dream, of a new beginning, you know? Those were the challenges where I had to face 
that place again and realize, you know, that there's still hope. There's pieces of of that dream that still remain and that I want to that I wanted to to make and I wanted to put together and see what I could make, you know, and guess what? The outcome is even better than what I thought I was could be, you know? Well. But yeah, there were tears and there were stomachache when I had to when I was holding the mirror, you know? Yes. Martha, okay, since thanks. you've started and become an author, are you thinking there might be a follow-up book to this? Of course, it's amazing, you know. When I saw this vision, I just not only saw Our Shattered Dreams, but I saw two more books because Our Shattered Dreams deals with accepting reality as it is. The second book is My Life is a question mark. It's like, what can I make of my life? Mm. It's a mess. But then the other one is with exclamation marks because after I realize the facts, reality, then it comes. Oh, my God, let me tell you about my life. I thought I was going to die. I thought I was not good for anything. But look what I have accomplished. And you can do it also. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And the other one is why settle for less than the best? I mean, with the pieces that you have, why settle for less? Struggle for the best thing, you know, in our in our life. So in every book, even though it's fiction, read, read carefully. There's characters there. There's always a strong character. There's a weak character. So which one are we going to be? Choose. Because even if, when you read fiction, the, 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 the author is talking about themselves, their experience, but they're just faking it, you know? But they wish to be that strong character, but they're weak or whatever, you know. But it's up to us. Who do we want to be? How do we want to be remembered by our, by our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren? You know, the stories are always talking about the great people, the ones who struggle for the, what they believe and everything. Think about it. I mean, all those movies about about people who decided to go the other route, there's not that many. There may be, but usually the one who fights for truth and the one who fights for the best outcome of whatever their situation or the, what they have been going through, those are the ones that are told and remember. Don't you agree with me, Jay? Oh, absolutely. And, and it sounds, Martha, like you may be doing some public speaking or motivational seminars. Have you lined anything up yet? I'd love to. If they invite me, I'll be, I'm available. Okay. They have your name, Martha Gutierrez, so you never know. You might get a call from someone, and uh, I think you would be an excellent speaker at uh, one of those events. Thank you so much, Jay. I appreciate it. Martha, thank you for being courageous and sharing your story and the story of others in your in your compilation, Our Shattered Dreams. This is a, a book that will inspire you if you are a reader of inspirational concepts and books. The title, again, is Our Shattered Dreams. The author, Martha Gutierrez, about 150 pages, a little less than that. So it's a short read, but it's one that you'll maybe go back and uh, reference from time to time if you uh, get a copy of the book. Martha, where can they get a copy of Our Shattered Dreams? Um, they can get it anywhere, uh, Amazon.com. But they can also go directly to the website. It's called OurShatteredDreams.com. They can just place their order there. And, you know, when you want something, you'll find a way to get it. But OurCharterDreams.com or Amazon.com or Best and Noble, you know, you can order it anywhere you want. Fabulous. Again, the author, Martha Gutierrez. Thank you, Martha, for joining me today. Oh, thank you so much. And this is the only thing that I just want to leave with your listeners, okay? Sure. Just to remember that yesterday is already gone and tomorrow may not even come. But today is what counts. And most of all, that is never too late to start. And our challenging and our calling and our purpose is only for each one of us. It's up to us if we want to be the same or if we want to make a change in our life and impact others. Fabulous and inspirational comment to leave the interview with. Thank you so much for joining me today, Martha. Thank you. My pleasure for Author Talk. This is Jay Douglas Barker. Stay with us for more Christian Living That Counts. Back in a moment. It's Marching Denver Bird. Believe it or not, there are times when even I can't think of the right word. 
The inability to think of a word is called lethologica. Texas Monthly Magazine recently came out with some colorful homespun sayings. Old as dirt and common as cornbread in the Lone Star State. Did you hear about the Texan that could strut sitting down? But he was all hat and no cattle, which means very boastful, but with nothing about which to boast. On top of that, he don't know a widget from a wangdoodle or a diddly squat. His wife was a mighty strong woman. She'd charge hell with a bucket of ice water. She was always telling folks that he was so tight, he could squeeze a nickel till the buffalo screamed. She also said he was famous for calling the hogs all night or snoring. It's marching day. I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my new app, Too Funny for Words. Returning with more of Christian Living That Counts, your host. Greetings for Author Talk. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled Strings from Above, and my author who joins me from Kansas in the United States of America is Kirby Smith. Welcome, Kirby, to the program. Thank you. Thank you for having me this morning. Well, it's a pleasure to visit with you. Tell me a little bit about yourself. You are in Kansas, but you also uh, have a history of growing up in another state. What state was that? Yeah, I grew up in Nebraska. Um, I was born and raised in a small town of about 600 people, and I lived there uh, through high school and then went to college in Nebraska as well and then ended up ultimately meeting my husband at our college, and then we ended up moving to Kansas and now are raising our family in Kansas. Well, somebody has to live in Kansas. Kansas is a nice state. I've, my, I've got a, I've got a son-in-law from Kansas and his family, so they're they're nice folks. Uh, the um, the state of Nebraska, though, is uh, is primarily a a farming community. Did you grow up in a farming situation? Yes, I did. My father has farmed since he was fourteen years old, growing up on the farm, helping his uh, dad and his uncle, and then ultimately. Um, took over the farm later on in his life. So my sister and I, a uh, lot of experience just helping him and, you know, just town life. Sure. You, you, uh, have you always uh, had a desire to be an author? Is this your first book? This is my first book, and it actually just kind of happened. We, um, my mom ultimately is the reason for writing the book, but when I was just 10 years old, she was diagnosed with uh, triple negative breast cancer. She was 36 at the time, and uh, she had the prognosis was not very very good or whatnot. But anyway, through a lot of her treatment and just the the struggles we had with that, there was a lot of spiritual events that had happened throughout that time. And then after she went through her treatment, and then just throughout the course of our lives, we've always had just unexplained things happen to our family. And you know, we didn't think much of them at first, but once we were able to kind of sit down and and see and you know, throughout my mom's terminal illness, too, just lots of things had happened, and we were able to kind of piece things together and just started realizing that these weren't coincidences, and we truly believe that they are signs from heaven. So that kind of is what sparked my interest to maybe uh, start writing a little bit. I didn't really think that it would turn into a book. It was more of a blog, and then when I started seeing what a following I had, it just really inspired me to maybe get something put in in a format that our kids could be able to have some day to read to understand who their Nana was and everything about her family. It's 261 pages, so you had a lot of thinking to do and a lot of writing that you did uh, accomplish. One of the, uh, I think, interesting things was the uh, the story of your dad driving, I think, back to the hospital after the diagnosis and the treatment was beginning, and uh, something interrupted his his vision as he was traveling. Uh, share that. Was that the beginning of the spiritual journey that you outline in your book, or how would you describe that incident? Yes, that was probably the earliest memory that I have. Again, I was 10, so I didn't fully comprehend everything that was going on, um, and a lot of the medical piece was not fully disclosed to my sister and I, for obvious reasons. As young as we were, my parents did a great job of reassuring us that everything would be fine, but of course, you know, my dad had the weight of the world on his shoulders at that time. Uh, my mom was only given a 2% survival rate, wow. uh, again, being 36, um, you know, it we never wanted to give up on a miracle, but science was basically saying, you know, 2% chance. So my dad, of course, was thinking, how in the world am I going to raise two daughters, 10 and 12, without my wife? I've got a farm. I, I just don't know how I'm going to do all this. So as he's driving from our hometown in Indianola, Nebraska, to Omaha, where my mom was hospitalized, and he just experienced the normal human emotions of anger. And he just, you know, he was upset. He was sad. And, you know, he just was, you know seeking God, he says, why, you know, why are we, why are we having to experience this, you know, please, you know, show me a sign 
that you're here and that we're going to get through this. Well, then about that time, his thought process was interrupted by these bright headlights behind him, just tailgating him. Well, then, of course, he got a little bit of road rage thinking, gosh darn it, you know, why, why is this happening? And well, anyway, the vehicle then proceeded to pass him. And as he looked up, it was a semi-truck. And on the side of that, it said covenant. And of course, we all know covenant means promise. Right. And so he took that as his sign of God is here and he is going to see us through this. And that just really gave him that internal peace and a sense of hope that, you know, everything is going to be okay. Well, many families that go through the cancer diagnosis and the treatment uh, will look for straws or look for help, look for answers, and will be driven towards maybe a spiritual change in their life. Is yours in that category? Was there something a little more unique about your journey? Yeah, it all goes into that. Um, If I could just pick up on then the second part of the subtitle of my book is called Have Faith in God, which is um, from Mark 11.22. And where that originated from, it was during that same trip, the next day or the following day, um, you know, my dad was by my mom's side at the hospital, and he had never read the Bible before, and there was one there in the hospital room. So Hmm. he just picked it up and thought, okay, where do I even begin, you know, in this giant book, if you will. And so his birthday is November 22nd, so he just flipped to, it happened to be the Book of Mark, and he just flipped to 11:22 since that was his birthday, and it said, have faith in God. And so that was another strong sign of, okay, covenant the day before, and then now here, you know, God speaking to him through the Bible saying, have faith in God. Again, that was just another piece of it. So our, I guess to answer your question, our whole lives have kind of been our spiritual lives were kind of built on that after that. It just gave us this piece of like, we're not doing this by ourselves. There's something much bigger and something much greater. And, you know, God knows what our plan is. Sometimes it's hard as you're going through the trials and tribulations in life. But, you know, there are times we you can piece things together and say, okay, now I see why that happened. But, you know, I feel like when we are standing face to face with him, at the end of our lives, we will truly see how and why everything happened the way it did. That's phenomenal. The other incidences that happened in your life, of course, your mom did pass, and how did that impact the family? Besides the the typical loss and and grieving process, what else did it do to impact your future choices? Sure. Uh, My mom was very much an advocate for health and just being proactive, and she just, you know, her worst fear um, was my sister and I having to go through the exact same thing that she had experienced. And when she was 36 with this diagnosis, that was back in 1993. And of course the research has come on so much more since then. But when um, she was diagnosed then, she just said, could there be a family link to this? And the doctors at that time really weren't, you know, the research hadn't been advanced. So they just said, no, this is a fluke thing. You don't have any family history of it. It's, It's probably just a fluke. Yes. Well then in her subsequent diagnosis, 17 years later, at that point then, of course, the research had been advanced so much more, and her doctor said, "I'm, you know, let's get you tested. There's a strong possibility there's a genetic link to this. So in April of 2012, prior to her terminal diagnosis, she got tested, and she did test positive for the BRCA2 gene. And so, uh, you know, this broke her heart because then she just carried this guilt knowing that my sister and I each, you know, we had a 50% chance of also carrying this, which in her mind interpreted to a high likelihood of us developing breast cancer at some point in our lives. So um, we let the dust settle a little bit on that. And then uh, fast forward to September of 2012 was when she was diagnosed uh, uh, terminally as she had um, brain meth from the breast cancer. During all that, she just she told my sister and I, she said, you guys are going to go over to the genetic counselor now, and you're going to go get tested, and you guys are never going to have to experience this. So knowledge is power. Go get tested. So mm-hmm. while she was dealing with what her prognosis and subsequent treatment just to keep her comfortable, uh, my sister and I were over getting tested. And then a couple of weeks later, we did find out uh, my sister tested negative, but I did test positive for the breast cancer gene. Mm. Decision that was subsequent to that, what was that? Sure. So then I just knew, um, just seeing my mom suffer and just knowing what she went through, I knew that that's something that I absolutely never wanted to experience. I am a mom. Um, At the time, I only had two boys. I do now have three. But I just, I knew I did not want to ever have to go through that. So I went to a doctor and they did an analysis and they put me at about a 95.5% chance of developing breast cancer in my lifetime. And that's, you know, my choices were either surveillance, I could go every six months, and in my mind, they'd eventually find something, and I would be diagnosed, or I could have the pre- uh, preventative uh, double mastectomy with reconstruction. So it was a no-brainer for me. That's what I chose. And in, the June, in June of 2013, I underwent the uh, seven-hour surgery, and 
successfully completed the reconstruction process uh, December of 2014. Proactive in this situation certainly is a, a choice that uh, it might, must have been very difficult to, to make. You have uh, titled the book Strings from Above. What is that title significance? What does that mean for you? So probably the first, oh, I don't even, six or eight months after mom passed, you know, I had some dreams, but they were all negative dreams. It was just dreams from her passing, and it was all very, very real. And then I would hear my sister and my dad talk about pleasant dreams that they had had. And there was a piece of me that was like, you know, needing that closure and wanting to experience that as well. Well, then little by little, I was noticing strings just in random places, just no, you know, it was just... I can't really explain it, but it, there were strings that were falling in my path during times that I felt, you know, I was really missing mom or trying to make these decisions with the surgeries and what to do mm-hmm. and how to move forward with that. I would always find these strings at, at times where I felt like I needed my mom the most. And so I decided to title the book Strings from Above because I just feel like mom is giving us signs that she is guiding us. Even though she's not here physically, I do feel like she's here spiritually and she's still holding our hands and guiding us through the process of life. Besides sharing your story for your family, what do you feel the reader that's listening to the broadcast right now will f- will find from your work and also take away from it? I think my goal then would be for people to, in a lot of situations, not just a cancer diagnosis or, you know, a health issue, but there are several issues throughout the book that I, my goal is to help readers find peace and comfort. And I feel like when you're going through a trial and you're going through some hard times, it is easier to connect with people and read stories and hear stories, and it provides comfort and help. So this is a broad range of, um, you know, my mom's cancer diagnosis, how we dealt with that in terms of, you know, the last six, they gave her a year to survive. Um, She passed within six weeks of her terminal diagnosis. So there's a, a segment on that on how, how we coped with that and how we handled ourselves through that process. Um, my sister was also diagnosed with a, a Hodgkin's lymphoma three months after my mom passed away, and so we had to deal with that. So you've got the component of losing a loved one. You've got a, a subsequent cancer diagnosis. You've got my surgery I'm dealing with, trying to work through all the medical pieces and trying to make a pretty significant decision. So I think several different readers in different life situations will be able to connect to our story. But the end result is something positive, that not only are you leaving in the the narrative that you have created, but also in your outlook. Would that be a correct diagnosis? That is. I learned a lot about myself through this process. I developed a closer relationship with God. Um, you know, before it was one of those things I would go to church and I would pray, but it was kind of con- on a basis where it was convenient for me. Well, then through this whole process, watching my mom pass and just all of that coming together, I felt a strong presence of him. And it just made me really, I guess, grow in my faith and understanding that, again, there's something much bigger than us and that, um, you know, God does have a plan for us. And while it's difficult at times, we just have to trust in him. And as the book says, have faith in God. 33, 33 chapters. The last three are interesting in title. 31 is lucky or unlucky, 13. 32 is black pearl, and then I think the one that probably is the uh, the motivation for inspiration for whoever or whomever reads the book, write your story. What is Black Pearl? What is that uh, referring to? Well, back to the signs that we have received. The number 13 has always been my mom's favorite number. That was something even before her diagnosis in 1993, she just held on to 13. She just thought it was a, a lucky number. And then throughout the course of the book, uh, readers will see that, you know, I started analyzing the number 13. It's like, well, is it lucky or is it unlucky? And there were a lot of different things. You know, mom was diagnosed on the 13th of December in 1993 with, uh, with the initial diagnosis. And so in my mind, I'm like, how can number 13, how can she still hang on to this number and like this number, even though we've had multiple negative occurrences with the number 13? Um, another one would be when she had um, the surgery initially, there were 13 lymph nodes that were malignant, which, you know, of course, is a bad thing. But out of the 17, uh, 13 of them were malignant. So, mm. again, I walked through and just analyzed lucky or unlucky. But the point of that uh, chapter was um, my mom always had a way of looking at life in a positive manner. So, yeah, while those things were bad, she still had a way of seeing the positive and just trying to navigate through that. 
so then to answer your question on the Black Pearl story, uh, my dad has recently, uh, he did get married uh, to a wonderful woman named Deanna. She is now our stepmom. Um, but when they were on their honeymoon in Hawaii, they had stopped into the store and Deanna had wanted to get herself a, a necklace. So she picked a, a, a pearl and then when they opened it, it was a black pearl. And they said, wow, that doesn't happen very often. Like, why don't you pick another one? So she dug through and picked out another, opened it. And there were two black pearls in there. And it was like they, the people in the store just couldn't believe it. Like, what in the world? And then um, they said, okay, do just one more. So then she opened one more, and, and it was yet another black pearl. So wow. immediately she's like, these necklaces were meant for the girls, my sister and I. So they uh, put, found a um, setting for my sister and I, and they got us the, the necklaces. And then when they went to check out, the price was $1,313. And they, they both looked at that receipt, and there were two 13s there. So it was just these little things along the way that always happen. And we just, again, felt strong that that was a sign that, you know, mom is saying, you know, I wanted you to move on less, and I'm thankful you did. And so, and, and then the write your story piece was just me basically saying, you know, I never, as we talked about earlier on, I never intended on being an author. That was just something never in a million years that I think that I would have a title. And so it was just me basically just saying, encouraging people, start writing your story. If there's something that's happened to you and you want to share it, write it, and you just never know where, where it'll go. Well, thank you for sharing your story this morning. The title again is Strings from Above, subtitled Have Faith in God, Mark eleven twenty two. My author, Kirby Smith. Kirby, my listeners need to get a copy of this 261 pages of inspiration. Where do they find it? Uh, my book is available through the Author House website. It is also available on Amazon and Barnes & Noble. Well, best of luck with this. Again, uh, listeners, if you want to find this, you can also ask your local bookseller, and they can order it in by name, Strings from Above, or under the author's name, Kirby, K-I-R-B-Y, Smith, spelled just in the standard uh, standard spelling, S-M-I-T-H. Kirby, thank you for joining, with, joining me today and uh, sharing your story. It's been uh, wonderful to visit with you. Thank you. I appreciate your time. Best to you and yours. For Author Talk, this is Jay Douglas Barker. Join us again for Christian Living That Counts.